anytime a black show or a black host is taken off of the air or, you know, announces retirement, anything where that voice is effectively going to be taken away from us just makes me very uneasy. And so it went when I heard about Joe Madison, uh, who's also known as the Black Eagle. I heard about his passing on January the 31st, and it just took me to uh, a similar place of when I heard about Donnie Simpson's retirement, when I heard about the Russ Parr morning show, you know, even going back to Tom Jordan when he announced his retirement. Not to say that, you know, these gentlemen and these voices and these shows, you know, don't deserve a place where they take a step back uh, to reflect and to appreciate on their great legacies. I just understand that every time we lose those shows or we lose those voices, that uh, there is a gap um, in information. There is a gap in empowerment that our community desperately needs. And so I thought a lot about the Black Eagle, and I almost named this podcast, We Need More Eagles or we need more black eagles. And I thought about the eagle, and I thought about what the eagle represents just in terms of American culture, and I thought about, you know, the symbol of the uh, eagle, uh, where the eagle is holding an olive branch and the eagle is holding arrows. And I understand that's not America. Like, there's nothing about about America that represents an olive branch. And so I thought about African birds and you know, symbolism and what, you know, will be profound in this moment as we think about black media, as we think about information, empowerment and restoration. And so I came across Sankofa. When I came across Sankofa, I was reminded of Sankofa and what it means. It means to retrieve. It means to go back and get it. And that's how I feel about black people, um, our imagination, our political perspectives, all of these things. There are a lot of things that have been left behind, whether you want to talk about the black radical tradition or if you want to if you just want to talk about civil rights itself. But I'm here to say and I am happy to be a part of this tradition to fill in where, you know, these gentlemen have taken a step back. It's something that's needed now more than uh, more than ever. And heard a quote last night um, at the Grammys. Um, where someone said uh, something to the effect of uh, when I get nervous, I speak the truth. And all I can say is, is I'm going to speak the truth regardless. Um, to be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth and not to make no dope. To make a difference. listening to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Again, we need more Sankofas. And as I have this conversation, this is something I've, I've really been sitting on for a while because I've watched, you know, obviously the news and local events and, and all of these different types of things take place. And I just feel like, you know, we're, we're largely unserious in how we uh, look at these issues. I do want to start um, again by, you know, just expressing my uh, condolences to the passing of Joe Madison, 74 years old, 
um, just obviously meant so much in terms of black radio, just in terms of, of activism and protest and speaking up on issues. I find that, you know, just being in this space, a lot of the stuff I present, you know, whether it's the news or, or commentary, a lot of it reaches people in a way where it's, it's new and it's fresh information, which, of course, I appreciate my role in that. But I, I'm also concerned about just how we're getting our information. Um, I'm also concerned just in terms of, you know, how we're teaching young people. And, you know, as I, I look back at the past, like, you know, as I mentioned before, whether it's about, you know, talking about the black radical tradition, whether it's talking about Saturday schools or different things like that. We're in this place now where at the same time, I think there's a collective lack of appreciation for black history. There's also there are also entities, whether it's legislators or organizations that want to uh, take away from you know, black empowerment and black folks and, and learning those things. And I get it. You know, people will say things like, well, hey, this is why we need our own, uh, our own schools. And I agree with all of that wholeheartedly. But there are two things that you need to um, to start to to uh, to build uh, those outlets. The first thing you need is time. And a lot of our time is taken up in capitalism, a lot of our time. And I'll just you know, I'll just say this from the from the perspective of a parent. You know, if you're getting up, if you're getting up in the morning and, you know, you get your kids to school, you send them off to school and you go to work and you work in, you know, a certain amount of hours. When you come back from work, um, there's the there's the time that's required, you know, to uh, to take care of your children, not, not just in terms of what they're learning, but just their their whole sense of being. Which brings me to the second part of what's what's so, what's important when you're talking about, um, you know, just black education, if you want to just put, you know, put that tag on it is curriculum is okay so now you have the time to teach your children a teacher community about what's going on curriculum is basically you know what is your plan you know, what is it that you know what is it that you don't know that you need to learn and so all of these things really constitute you know what's important in this space and I'm just going to call it just like I said Sankofa because Sankofa is going back to retrieve uh, there's this book that I've had, I've read, I've reread. I got to shout out this good brother, man, uh, Josh Myers. Um, he's written this book called Of Black Study, and it really just opened my mind because so much of how, of, how, of what we learn about black history, you know, a, a lot of it is within the context of just the American story. And so that story is, you know, it's a lot more tragedy than it is triumph. And not just in terms of what's happened, but just in terms of just how we um, just our, our sense of imagination, just how we think about things politically. And I'm going to get into all of those different things um, as this uh, podcast goes forth, because I, I, I just think there is a, you know, a need of a need for a political strategy, a need for shaking the table and ultimately um, just um, a sense of, of conscious and of not just consciousness, but of just collective energy that has been sorely lacking um, among our people for an extended period of time. And again, to do that in, like I say, a, a radical, there's a way to be radical without being extreme. And it's, it's ironic to, to have that conversation within the framework of American politics, because so much of what happens in terms of this country um, politically is just extreme. And it's just so it's polarizing to the point of, of senselessness, which I, you know, I think is by design. But I do just want to stay focused here, you know, on what it is that just uh, what helps us to build a, a sense of community. 
and I do once again uh, want to start with time. Like, um, how do we carve out time? How do we, you know, uh, preserve time? How do we make the most of our time um, outside of, you know, our, our obligations? And how many of those obligations do we need or how many of our obligations require um, reassessment? This is particularly interesting uh, to me as a person who, you know, again, is, you know, is often thinking about, you know, just consciousness and is often thinking about liberation. Um, and it, it reminds me of something uh, that one of the elders told me once or was telling to a group of people is, you know, how can you be serious about revolution and you're playing Candy Crush all the time? Like, <laughs> and it, it tickled me, but, you know, I, I've thought about that. I continue to think about that quote and just how much time, you know, we spend on, you know, on social media, how much time, uh, how much time we spend, you know, um, really looking at and, and focusing on entertainment. And I understand the why of what we do it because, you know, we're, just, we're looking for a break or we're looking for, you know, uh, some freedom, you know, in a, in a capitalist society and then, you know, in, in an unrepentant um, nonstop society. So, you know, we're, we're looking for a break. We're looking for peace. And it's just one of those things, honestly, that we do um, in a passive aggressive way. Um, in terms of just, you know, how we um, resolve our condition, like there, you know, there are things that we do that are not direct action that are not, you know, um, decisive in the way of saying, look, this is what we need to do to, to change things. I can tell you right now, as a person who, um, you know, is just mindful of the things that are going on in the school system, there are two things I believe that we need to look at in terms of education. Um, we definitely need to look at what's going on, you know, at school board meetings. Um, I've said that many times on this podcast. I will continue to say that simply because I understand the effect that groups um, such as Moms for Liberty um, are having on our school system. I understand the type of legislation that's being passed to, you know, kick out and discourage CRT, which People don't uh, look. People don't know what the hell CRT is. People are saying CRT as a code word for Black History. So that is to say, in a public school, uh, in a public school format, where your tax dollars are going to the enrichment of students and the enrichment of these curriculums, folks want to say, "Hey, look, Black History is not does not matter. Black History is um, does not have value," which is, of course, to the detriment of everybody, not just to Black people. But the way you solve that, I'm not going to say it's simple, but there is a clear and concise way to address that. The first thing to do is to go to school board meetings and protest. There was an incident that happened this morning at Laney. Apparently there was a, a shoot at Laney High School in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, there was a shooting of, of some sort. There was gunfire that was heard. I'm not entirely sure whether um, it was, you know, at, at students or if it was just, you know, a, a prank or, or some sort. Not entirely sure. But that incident there will be a predictable response to it. People will run down to the school board. People will call, you know, their um, elected officials and they will demand change. And what will happen is what always happens in this country. Whenever guns are involved, there's an incident that happens. There are people who um, engage in a, a short uh, protest. There is a promise of reform and reform is nothing more than turning us back to the status quo. And that's what happens. That happens not only um, when it comes to violent incidents, when it comes to, you know, uh, the culture of guns in this country. But that is largely how we do education. And every time we do this, um, the more we enforce status quo, the more we push out notions of liberation, the more we push out, um, you know, 
affect the, the effects of true change. We understand that the system is broken. We understand that in many ways the system is broken uh, by design, which is why you must have an additional curriculum, which is why you must have an additional plan to educate and empower people, which brings us to the Saturday school component. If there's an obligation for kids to go to school Monday through Friday, what are we doing on the weekends? What, what can we do? Um, what can we build? What can we construct in a way that entices the family? And when I say family, I mean parents and children to come in and not only just, you know, learn about black history, but to build community, whether that's eating together, whether that's playing together, whether that's fellowshipping together, whatever that looks like, how do we build and construct these outlets in a way that creates lasting change, that creates a sense of consciousness in, in, our, communi- in, in our communities, among our people? Anything short of this approach is going to create what I've seen uh, at the start of Black History Month, uh, which is resentment. I've seen resentment towards um, the notion of Black History Month. I've seen resentment towards, you know, uh, people saying, hey, we don't need Black History Month. We need a Black History Year. And I'm, you know, of, of course, I'm a person for um, who for many years has said, hey, look, you know, um, Black history needs to be perpetual. But how do you go about that? in a way that, or, or, or let me let me start over, because a lot of the people who are saying we need to do away with Black History Month aren't doing anything in a way of conscientiousness to ensure that black history is being taught every day. There are initiatives, there are things that you can promote to say, hey, this needs to be a daily focus. This needs to be a part of our everyday culture. But once you get into that, what you're, what you're, what's eventually going to happen is, is that you're going to see the difference between America in Africa. And that difference has always been here. But the but it's up to us whether we're going to choose to, you know, uh, approach that in a way where we want to affirm our our African sensibilities or if we're going to do that and we're just going to affirm our American sensibilities. And a lot of us has, have largely chosen to address that in a way that, you know, appeals to our American sensibilities and the reason why we do that is because we don't want to smoke. Point blank period. When we come back to making a difference, I want to discuss political maturity uh, in an age where there aren't any um, political candidates. I'll say presidential candidates of note. You're listening to Making a Difference. It's the West Coast diva. Tell them, follow the leader. It's yo, yo. You're listening to Making the Difference with Ken Making. When you listen to Making a Difference, you're listening to independent black media. And we need your support now more than ever. When it comes to making a difference, there are a lot of different ways that you can show love to what we're doing here. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. On Facebook, it's facebook.com backslash making, M-A-K-I-N, a different show. On Twitter, the handle is difference making, M-A-K-I-N. You can also support us financially through both Cash App and Patreon. Patreon, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash making a difference show. You can also support us on Cash App at dollar sign making a different show. Thank you in advance for your support. And I love you so much. Peace. What's going on, everybody? It's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out Making a Difference with my man, Ken Macon. Keep it locked. Peace. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. I do want to talk about politics for a second. Look, that's the reason why many of you guys are here is, you know, you guys will, you know, rely on um, me and, you know, the the stuff that I put out to, you know, to get political information. Um, and with that being said, like, how can anybody look at, the uh, the presidential situation 
and be satisfied with it. I'm talking about not only our current administration, but I'm talking about you look our um, the potential candidates and you know what's being you know presented to the forefront. I there's so much I want to say, and I do want to get into some. Uh, I'm not going to call it political strategy. I'm God. I really want to call it political trolling, but it, you guys will understand exactly what I mean when I talk about it. But I, I, I first want to start with Joe Biden. I want to start with this presidential administration. I do want to be clear. Um, Joe Biden never had any intent of promoting black people. Uh, he needed the black vote uh, to get a means to an end. One of the great disservices of the Obama presidency was platforming Joe Biden was, you know, and, and not only uh, platforming Joe Biden, but presenting him in a way where people will say, you know, say crazy things like Uncle Joe. Um, I prefer Jim Crow Joe. I prefer genocide Joe because that's who Joe Biden is. Joe Biden is a champion of segregation, always has been, always will be. Uh, Joe Biden has been a champion of war as evidenced by the actions in the Middle East, by uh, as evidenced um by the actions against the Palestinians uh, in his support of white supremacist Israel. I'm looking forward to having a guest on in the near future to uh, talk about Israel because, you know, uh, black Christians, black Christianity, we hear Israel and we think one thing and we don't understand that there's a difference between Israel and the Bible and Israel um, as currently uh, constituted. Um, so, and that, that breakdown is something that we desperately need. You know, I know, look, you guys don't want to hear from Radical Ken, from, from Crazy Ken, so I'm going to bring a pastor on to talk about it. Maybe then y'all will listen to it and appreciate it. Let me just focus on Joe Biden for right now. At any rate, uh, Joe Biden is a champion of segregation and war. Uh, and a champion, and because he's a champion of segregation and war, of course he's going to be a champion of the police. And, again, he said all of these things going into 2020. Um, so now here we are three, four years later, and – that's why the Biden presidency does not look different than the Trump presidency, you know, aside from just the crazy things that Donald Trump says. The end result is resentment toward uh, homelessness and poverty. I see that abroad. I see that in Augusta. Um, you know, as I ride down the streets, you know, very early, very early in the morning, you know, taking the kids to school. I see the yellow vests, and I, I know what the yellow vests represent. The yellow vests are street sweepers, but they're not cleaning up, um, you know, litter and, you know, and leaves and stuff like that. They are getting homeless people off of the streets. And this, this, this is a collective attitude that we're seeing abroad. It's not that, you know, we would use uh, taxpayer dollars and, you know, resources to help people get on their feet or to reverse the conditions that cause poverty and homelessness and of course yield crime. No, we would rather just mistreat uh, people and, you know, just act in such inhumane ways in the name of capitalism. And that's how people choose to move. But of course, again, as we, you know, you want to talk about the trickle down effect. That's the only thing I see trickling down, you know, from the administration. That That's the only thing I see that's, you know, that's coming down. I don't see dollars and, you know, different, you know, in this society, all I see coming down is contempt and hatred, but I just want to stay focused on Joe Biden. Okay. So Joe Biden is without question, uh, the democratic favorite, um, in terms of, you know, the primary favorite in terms of securing that nomination, uh, South Carolina just had a primary this past Saturday. I have $5 for anybody who knows who the other two, <laughs> who knows who the other two 
uh, primary candidates were. I'll go ahead and just drop that knowledge on you real quick. Uh, Marianne Williamson and Dean Phillips. I talked to so many people on Saturday and, you know, no one knew. And again, these are this this is by design. Uh, the Republican candidates, you know who those are. Um, those two candidates are because they are in more of a celebrity space than the other Democratic um, candidates. You know Donald Trump is in the mix, uh, the presumptive favorite. And you also know that uh, Nikki Haley's in the mix as well. Now, this is where I talked about the political trolling and strategy bit. Um, the Democrats have presented Trump as a boogeyman for the last, I mean, four years at least, if not longer. Uh, probably, you know, for the better part of a decade almost, they've said Trump is this boogeyman. If Trump is the boogeyman, then why in the world would e would you have everyone in the Democratic primary to go vote for Joe Biden? You've already established that you want Joe Biden. Um, if you see Donald Trump as this great evil, why not send um, the folks in South Carolina, at least on the 24th, down to vote for Nikki Haley? <laughs> I mean, why not? Why not shake the table in that way? Um, to me, it's one of those things where we've gotten to the point in the Republican primary wherein if Nikki Haley doesn't make a push here pretty soon, um, she's going to be out of the race anyway. What better place, you know, than to have her revive her career, much like Joe Biden did his. Um, why not have her to do that in her home state of South Carolina? Uh, we can talk about Jim Clyburn and, and what he did for, you know, to, to secure the black vote in South Carolina. But I, listen, what that there needs to be a case study done going back to looking at, you know, uh, what happened in 2020 in terms of Bernie Sanders being the, the favorite going into South Carolina, what happened with Joe Biden winning South Carolina and then how the party effectively got behind him. And I'm not, you know, lifting up Bernie Sanders as as this great hero. I'm just talking about in terms of ideology and look, say what you want to about Bernie Sanders. And I, you know, look. I think Bernie's a coward in a lot of ways, but I know one thing day one of the Bernie Sanders administration, you would not have had to have worried about uh, student debt. That would have been written off the first day. Joe Biden, on the other hand, and the Biden administration would rather send your money, send your taxpayer dollars to, Oh, excuse me. Something just came across, uh, would rather send your tax dollars to the Ukraine and Israel. So now we're in this place where once again, Look, we got to hear from the Biden administration about how they need the black vote, even though they've done absolutely nothing to secure the black vote. Not in terms of, you know, understanding the uh, wealth disparity between black folks and white folks. The Biden administration has done little to nothing uh, to rectify that, um, to include reparations. Uh, when you talk about protections for HBCUs, South Carolina State is in the whole, excuse me, um, they have been, I'll put it this way. South Carolina State, in comparison to Clemson, with them both being land-grant institutions, uh, South Carolina State is owed by the state of South Carolina uh, something in the neighborhood of $500 million. The, I mean, and I should give the uh, credit to the Dep uh, Department of Agriculture for putting that letter together. That was in October. There has been no push. You haven't heard anything about it on TV. There have been no narratives, nothing of the sort to say, hey, look, we need to get this $500 million from South Carolina. Uh, from the state of South Carolina. There's been no push against um, elected officials in that state. As a matter of fact, I brought it up um, at a legislative preview for the media, and, you know, Republicans are saying, we don't we don't owe that money. So uh, here here again, there is a, a an, an unseriousness, you know, there's a way that 
issues are put in front of us um, that are, I'm talking about black issues that are not, you know, that are not followed, you know, people don't follow up on. And these are issues that we've had for generations. And so, you know, the problems persist. We're in a place now where we need a new political ideology. And what I'm, and, and let me be, I'll be general, then I'll be specific. What can a Democratic Party do for you? Or what has the Democratic Party done for you in the last decade, in the last 50 years? Like what are tangible items that you can, you know, reach out and say, okay, this is what this party has done. Or has that party instead used the vote, used your vote or used you for your vote? What have you gotten for your vote in the last 10 years, in the last 50 years? That's a question that can be asked for the Democratic Party. That's a question that can be asked of the Republican Party. What has the Republican Party done or said, you know, in this period of time to say that they, you know, respect, respect black voters or don't respect black voters? So what we are left with is we are left with a two-party system that does not provide tangible solutions for black people. So why in the hell are we engaged in the process? That's a question that ha- that we have to ask. It's a question that we have to ask on social media. It's a question that we have to ask each other in person. It's a question that we have to ask when we touch grass. It's a question that should be asked in our churches. It's a question that should be asked any and everywhere there are, um, where, wherever we have spaces of black empowerment, wherever we have spaces of black conversation. Barbershop, beauty shop. These are the questions that we should be asking. Got to shout out my man Earl Gray Summers on this for us, uh, for a moment because he said he thinks that Black History Month should become like this 29-day conference where we speak on these issues. And I listen, I love it. It's a great idea. Uh, Black History Month in a lot of ways has become corporatized. Uh, in a lot of ways it's become this you know celebration of the first black this and the first black that. And first black is great. It's also problematic in 2024 when we have fought for so many gains and now we're seeing a lot of those gains being turned back. So we have to assess what progress looks like, what struggle looks like and how much of the struggle is us making the same mistakes over and over again, or how much of the struggle is about us really trying to um, gain a new sense of who we are as Africans, not just Africans in America. Once that happens, the conversation will become fairly clear. Uh, Our politics will become local. And out of local politics, we'll start to um, really uh, take a, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. The beautiful thing about local politics, and I've said this before, is that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are largely inaccessible. Even your state politicians are inaccessible, you know, particularly during this time of the year where, you know, you have, um, you know, things that are being established, you know, uh, legislation uh, or, or legislative meetings and things of that nature. But your local politicians, like there's a there's a local there's a meeting going on in your community every if not once every month, twice a month. And these are times where you can go and really make your presence felt. These are folks that have the same area code as you, whom you can call and you can say, hey, look, these are this is my issue or these are my issues. And I'm not. And and let me say this as well. This is not. I've, I've experienced this firsthand. I've experienced going to legislative bodies as an individual, going to legislative bodies as, you know, maybe myself or, you know, a handful of people. And you're not heard in those in those situations. Not to say that you shouldn't push against the push against that darkness. But there has to be a spirit of organization amongst us. There has to be a spirit of of strategy, of planning, of saying, look, these are the issues 
Here's what we believe are the solutions. We understand that these solutions are not going to come easy. These solutions are going to come with us pressing against establishment, not just one time, but over and over and over and over again. That's part of the, I'm not ready to call it a failure of Black Lives Matter because I understand Black Lives Matter is part of a more perpetual project. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that, look, the struggle for black uh, freedoms, the struggle for black liberation has gone on for hundreds of years. For us to say that Black Lives Matter is dead or Black Lives Matter is irrelevant is foolish. It shows that you do not understand <laughs> the greater purpose or, ironically enough, as we're in this month, you don't understand black history because folks have been, I'm not going to say saying the same thing, but the, the concerns, the perilousness of being black in America has always been there. Whatever it is, whether it's professional, whether it's personal, whether it's your family, whatever it is, whether it's what you believe, your religion, all of these things have always been at risk. And this is why you have to continue to press against the machine. This is why you can't sit back and say, oh, look, um, you know, we got Joe Biden as president. <laughs> Some people really did that. Some people went from Black Lives Matter to I'm going to vote for Joe Biden and haven't said a darn thing ever since. I really want I really want to say something else there, but I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be cool today. I'm tired of our politics being limited to, oh, it's a presidential year. I'm tired of our politics being limited to, oh, this person I know is running for, for public office. Our politics have to be every day. Our politics have to be an understanding of what's going on in our communities, what's going on in our churches, what's going on in our schools, what's going on in our neighborhoods, which means that we have to have an understanding and respect and an intimacy for one another and appreciation for one another. Like we have to get, and, and that's the, the issue of capitalism. Ken, people always say, well, Ken's always talking about capitalism. Ken's always talking about, let me help you understand. This is what happens in capitalism. What happens, in, I'll put it this way. You got capitalism, capital, uh, capitalism, and you got communism. Capitalism is about what's the base word of capitalism? Capital, money. What's the base word of commun is com is commune is community. So there's a decision you have to make. Are you going to serve money, or are you going to serve people, or are you going to serve community? Now I know which one's the higher calling. It's up to you at this point. And of course, some people are going to look at, are going to listen to this, or, or look at this, and they're going to say, "Well, I serve God." Well, you know, good book already tells you the love of money is the root of all evil. So, you know, we have these these capitalist dreams, man. Whereas, you know, I want to make a a million, or I want to make a billion. And it's like, what are you saying? Like, it, like we have these hypothetical conversations where people will say, like, you know, if I had a billion dollars, I wouldn't share with any a billion dollars. Like be for real. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't share it with in, with anybody. And that's why capitalism persists. But understand as a black person, like capitalism is synonymous with slavery. So that's the system that you're buying in. And that system has never loved you. That system has never regarded you as being human, let alone being a value beyond your labor. And those ideas persist to this day, whether you're, working in manufacturing, or whether you're a, a professional athlete. The name of this episode is We Need More Sankofas. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about what you guys want to talk about. Let's talk about the Grammys. That'd be a good way to close out the show. You're listening to Making a Difference. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your all-state insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. 
You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William View Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. My name is Lauren Macon and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. This is Donald Doe and Michael Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds, or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Making as promised. I want to talk about the Grammys. First and foremost, got a shout out in Augusta native, uh, Robert Boone Jr. Look, uh, Bobby, Bobby Boone is second. Uh, he's a big band player. He's actually a, a drummer who was part of a collective uh, that won a Grammy. Uh, so I do want to shout out um, Robert Boone Jr. And, man, that's awesome. I, You know, it, <laughs> it's, it's interesting, you know, when you talk about the Grammys, when you talk about the Oscars, you know, when we talk about all of these, um, these awards that, you know, look, we get it. So much of it is a, is, a, is a function of white acceptance, is a function of, you know, uh, of white, of the establishment, if you want to call it supremacy, um, you know, we could we could go that far. Um, it's just we are in these professional spaces. And, and if you're in the professional space, like a lot of it, there's there's that double consciousness. Right. And so it's what we deal with. Um, and we saw some of that from Jay-Z last night. Um, actually, I'll go ahead and play that. We want y'all to get it right. We love y'all. We love y'all. We love y'all. We want y'all to get it right. At least get it close to right. And obviously it's subjective. Y'all don't got to clap at everything. Obviously it's, sub- obviously it's subjective because, you know, it's music and it's opinion-based. But, you know, some things, you know, I don't want to embarrass this young lady, but she has more Grammys than everyone and never won album of the year. So even by your own metrics, that doesn't work. Think about that. The most Grammys, never won album of the year. That doesn't work. You know, some of you, some of you gonna go home tonight and feel like you've been robbed. Some of you may get robbed. <laughs> some of you don't belong in the category. <laughs> oh, no, 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 when I get nervous, I tell the truth. Um, but outside of that, outside of that, you know, we got to keep showing up. And forget the Grammys for a second, just in life. So I don't think we have to keep showing up. Uh, W.E.B. E. Du Bois in the 50s or the 60s, I forget the year. He said, I won't vote, and wrote a compelling commentary about why he wouldn't vote. He had lost faith in the two-party system. We don't have to continue to defend, support, uh, demand love from entities who we know don't love us. Like everybody talks 
a tough game, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, when, when individual people treat you wrong, you know, uh, we, you know, everybody, we, we always talk about cutting people off and things like that, but we never have the same energy for systems. And I'm going to close with this proverb, man, because there's a saying that um, a child who doesn't feel warmth uh, from the village will burn the village down. But I don't, that energy is never like spent on the white establishment. Like for generations, we've been disrespected by the Grammys, by the Oscars, you know, by these entities. But the angst and the hatred that we feel from not being selected never, ever leads to us saying to hell with these people. And it goes back to the value system. Hey, that Grammy means I make more money. Hey, that Oscar means I make more money. But there's more value, man. There's more spirituality. There's more community in building your own, supporting your own, loving your own. But in order to do that, man, we need more Sankofas. <laughs> we need more people who are going to go back and have an appreciation for the past with the intent of creating a prosperous future and creating a loving future. And that's my stopping point for making a difference. I appreciate you all checking in as always. Uh, bigger and better for anybody in this space, man. That's all I wish. Um, I wish that for, for humanity. And y'all know I love my people. It's Ken Macon. Peace and God bless. Now listen. This episode of Making a Difference and every episode moving forward will honor the life and legacy of my dear brother, James Macon. James had a way of telling the truth that endeared him to family and made him respected by his friends and peers. That standard is now my gift and my burden of responsibility. Long live St. James. The revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.